This is the Mahabharata podcast, episode 80, Shalya and the Dissolution of the Kauravas. Last time, we said goodbye to the boastful Karna. The death scene was quite compelling, almost as memorable as Bhishma's bed of arrows. That makes it confusing to me how jumbled the narrative of Karna's death turned out to be. The core story was rather difficult to extract from the presentation in the text. For instance, much was made of Karna's training under Ramajamadagnya, but the story itself was only told at the last moment and was presented as part of an argument Karna had with Shalya. We might have expected Rama's curse to play an important role in his death, but it wasn't really. The story of his death is actually told twice, and the failure of his Brahma weapon is only vaguely mentioned in one of them. There was a much more significant curse at play here that only gets briefly mentioned, and the story is never told. This has to do with the way the earth swallowed up Karna's chariot wheel. At a couple of points in the story, there's a brief mention of a Brahmin's curse, Later, the earth herself intervenes and swallows up one of Karna's chariot wheels. At least so far, we are not given any details about this Brahmin's curse, however. It looks like we must go beyond the text to find any details of this story. The legend of this curse holds that, sometime after his apprenticeship with Rama was over, Karna killed a cow by accident. The cow belonged to a Brahmin, who cursed him, saying that he too would die as defenseless as the cow had been. The text of the epic seems to expect us to have known the story already, but the story is never presented in the epic itself. It is interesting that Karna's sins included abusing a cow, abusing a woman, Draupadi that is, as well as abusing the earth herself. Remember that it was Mother Earth who begged the gods to save her from these demons incarnate. So it is interesting that when we get to the point in the war in which victory over the Karvas hinged on the defeat of a single warrior, the earth takes matters into her own hands by grabbing hold of Karna's chariot and refusing to let go until Karna was dead. This is one of the most powerful scenes in the entire epic. Karna, whose life has been full of frustrations, finds that nature herself has turned against him. He appeals to Dharma, but Krishna takes even that away from him by advising Arjun to hit him when he was defenseless. The image is of him struggling alone with his chariot wheel, tears of rage and frustration streaming down his face as Arjun mercilessly beheads him with a single arrow. There's a fun blog called thekarna.wordpress.com which takes Karna's side in this conflict and argues that he was the real hero of the story. I do find the debate entertaining, but I hope Karna fans will forgive me if I seem to be partial to the Pandavas. The text states repeatedly, in the omniscient voice, that Karna really was a sinful man and the incarnation of a demonic asura. As far as this project is concerned, Vyasa's text must be taken on its own terms. So, if Vyasa says Karna was a bad guy, then I feel obliged to present him in that light. The same thing goes for how we might judge Arjun's role in Karna's death. People sympathetic to Karna often point out that he was killed unfairly, that Arjun had to cheat in order to win. The text makes a great effort in absolving Arjun of that sin. Throughout the course of the war, Arjun often showed a reluctance to do anything even remotely dishonorable. Krishna had to constantly scold him for holding back. By the seventeenth day, Arjun still showed some reluctance to strike a man when he was down. But by then, he had given up arguing with Krishna. So when Krishna ordered him to kill Karna, Arjun simply did what he was told. If you think that what he did was contrary to Dharma, then you must take it up with Krishna, not Arjun. And this isn't a simple matter of Nazis just following orders. After all, Krishna is God. He's the final arbiter of what constitutes Dharma and what does not. In terms of the text, when Krishna tells you to do something, you better just follow orders. 
To me, the most striking element of this scene is the image of Karna clinging to the wheel. We have seen the image of a wheel several times during this war. First, there's the wheel formation, which only Abhimanyu can enter. Then, we see Abhimanyu armed only with the chariot wheel when he is killed. Finally, Karna is killed clinging to a wheel. And of course, Krishna's Sudarshana Chakra is shaped like a wheel. These are powerful images, but I wonder what it means. The significance of the wheel is not spelled out in the story, but it brings to mind the medieval notion of the Wheel of Fortune, in which all mortals are doomed to rise and fall by circumstances beyond their control. In Hinduism, as far as I can tell, the wheel, or chakra, is usually associated with power, such as Krishna's disc weapon, the Sudarshana Chakra. The Svetas Vatara Upanishad describes all of creation as a wheel, while world emperors are called Chakravartis. Regardless of all that, Karna's death, like his life, was a tragedy. His whole existence was the product of an injustice, and his behaviors only compounded the injustices. And in the end, there was no way anyone could make up for it. He and all of his grievances were simply extinguished by Arjun's arrows. The next book, the ninth, is called the Shalya Parva. As each of the previous battle books has been named after the commander of that part of the war, you might expect that this one is named after Karna's charioteer Shalya, and that he shall be the next commander, for the 18th and final day of the war. Like each of the previous battle books, the Shalya Parva begins at the end, with Sanjay racing back to Hastinapur to report on the death of Shalya and the end of the war. Since this kind of spoils all the suspense, I'll skip over that part and just say that, after hearing the bad news of the day, Dhritarashtra again passed out and had to be revived by his loyal younger brother Vidur. When the old king recovered his wits, he again begged Sanjay to relate all the details of how the war finally came to an end. Sanjay began his retelling, starting at the death of Karna. He repeated the story of how the Karva army came unglued after the death of their commander, and how Duryodhana eventually rallied a small unit of infantry to continue the fight until nightfall. The following morning, the surviving nobility gathered to appoint a new commander. As he did before the election of Karna, Duryodhana deferred to Drona's son, Ashvataman, asking his advice on who should next be elected commander. Ashvataman readily nominated King Shalya to be their general. This was seconded by the rest of his advisors, and Shalya was duly elected. If Shalya had any misgivings about this appointment, he did not mention it. Instead, he assured all those present that finally, after so many flawed generals, they had elected someone who was truly unbeatable. He declared himself the toughest guy who ever held a bow and assured his master that victory was no longer in doubt. You would have thought by now that these boasts had worn a bit thin, but that was not the case. The Karvas followed the new general into battle, feeling like the war was as good as won. Only Kripa felt otherwise, and he gave a long speech trying to convince Duryodhana that it was time that they gave up. After all, all of their sons and heirs had already been slain, so even their victory would be hollow, since there would be no one alive to inherit their spoils. Duryodhana heard him out respectfully, but could not agree. He recalled his past offenses against the Pandavas, and felt that these would never be forgiven. Besides, he said, Draupadi is at this very moment undergoing the most severe of austerities to ensure my destruction. She sleeps every night on the hard ground, and has sworn to continue doing so until we are defeated. Peace with them is impossible since the slaughter of Abhimanyu. And finally, after having ruled the earth as its sole monarch, how could I bear to walk behind Yudhishthira like one of his slaves? When news of Shalya's election reached the Pandava camp, Yudhishthira grew worried and asked Krishna what they should do next. 
Krishna was very reassuring. He said, look, you've already done the impossible by defeating those invincible warriors, Bhishma, Drona, and Karna. While Shalya is certainly a valiant warrior, he does not compare to them. Indeed, Krishna was so confident that he predicted that Yudhishthira would personally defeat the new Karva general. Thus, at daybreak on the 18th day of the war, the two sides, both much diminished in numbers, charged at each other, each side as confident of victory as they had ever been. While both sides had lost a good number of their most famous warriors, it seems their armies were still quite large. Sanjay said that the Karvas still had 3 million infantry, 200,000 horse, 10,000 elephants, and 11,000 chariots. The Pandavas still had a smaller force, consisting of 1 million foot, 10,000 horse, 6,000 elephants, and 6,000 chariots. Among the skirmishes of that morning, we discover that Karna still had a surviving son in the fight named Chitrasena. Perhaps because Nakul had not fared so well against the father, he squared off with Karna's son, and eventually defeated him by lopping off Chitrasena's head. To avenge his death, two more sons of Karna appeared on the battlefield, named Satyasena and Sushena. Nakul threw a dart at Satyasena, which struck him in the heart, killing him instantly. Sushena responded by destroying Nakul's chariot. Draupadi's son, Suttasoma, raced over and gave him a lift, but Nakul wasn't done fighting. He shot a razor arrow at Karna's surviving son and removed Sushena's head from his body. This final extinction of Karna's dynasty brought despair to the Karvas, but Shalya rallied them and they held their ground. As they rallied, Shalya and his son fought with Sahadev. Shalya killed Sahadev's horses, but Sahadev killed Shalya's son. It seems that Shalya was not so much interested in revenge as in victory, because he did not go after his nephew. Instead, he went for Yudhishthira. The pair faced off for a while, but it appears that Yudhishthira could not take the heat. His brothers had to jump in and help out. While Duryodhana watched Shalya single-handedly take on Yudhishthira, Bhima, Nakul, Sahadev, Satyaki, and Dristadyumna, he began to seriously believe that Shalya would beat them all. Yudhishthira, meanwhile, began to wonder how Krishna's prediction could possibly come true. But considering that just the day before Bhima had killed Dushasan and Arjun killed Karna, it really was time that he also did something heroic. So Yudhishthira summoned his brothers to form a guard around him, and in a battle formation, he led them to a final encounter with Shalya. While Yudhishthira resumed his duel with Shalya, Bhim fought Duryodhana, and the twins fought Shakuni. Ashvataman and Kripa kept Arjun occupied. Yudhishthira rose to the occasion, and now the onlookers considered the two well-matched, and no one could tell who might win. The pair traded blow for blow, shooting out each other's bows and piercing each other with arrows, until Yudhishthira managed to destroy Shalya's chariot. Just then, Ashvataman raced over and provided Shalya with a replacement car. From his new chariot, Shalya returned the favor and shot Yudhishthira's horses and driver, depriving him of his own chariot. Luckily, Bhima was nearby, and he helped out by destroying Shalya's new wheels. Now both of the opponents were on foot. Picking up a sword and shield, Shalya charged at Yudhishthira, but as he ran, Bhima shot out his sword, shield, and armor. Despite this, Shalya continued to charge at his enemy. Yudhishthira seized his chance, drew out a dart, and threw it at Shalya with all his strength. Shalya reached out to catch the dart in mid-flight, but failed. The projectile went right through his chest and sank into the earth behind him. Then, that mighty king of the Madras fell, arms outstretched to the earth, and the earth, like a dear wife advancing to welcome her lover, seemed to rise up to receive him affectionately. Sanjay put it this way, 
And then the powerful King Shalya, who had long enjoyed the earth like a dear wife, now seemed to sleep on the earth's breast, embracing her with his arms. Yudhishthira did not hesitate for a moment. He just turned to what was left of Shalya's entourage and began to slaughter them. They still remained 1,700 chariot warriors from the Lord of the Madras, and they only fought more desperately to avenge the death of their lord. By then, Arjuna Bhima had come forward to protect their brother, and they set to exterminating this remnant of Shalya's army. Duryodhana did not even try to exercise any sort of command over these warriors. He just flung himself at his foe with the courage born of desperation. Meanwhile, his sneaky uncle Shakuni led his remaining forces around to the rear of the Pandavas and attacked them where their defenses were weak. Sahadev and Dristad Yumna raced to the rear to stop him, but as soon as they got near, he ran away. Shakuni played this game with them several times before he finally withdrew his remnant of fighters and went in search of his nephew. Krishna, meanwhile, advised the Pandavas that the war had gone on long enough and it was time to wrap it up. And so, with Arjun leading the way, the Pandavas pressed in against the surviving enemies in a long front, rolling over their opponents like an avalanche. Kripa and Ashvataman struggled to keep up a rearguard defense when Shakuni rode up looking for Duryodhana. The three of them realized that none of them had seen him for quite a while. At this point, things got so bad that even Sanjay got caught up in the action. The whole divine sight premise went completely out the door when Sanjay said, I myself, with just a few followers, became reckless of my life. A fierce battle took place between us and a division of Dristadyumnas. We were soon vanquished by them and forced to retreat, but then Satyaki came rushing at us. Desirous of taking me alive, he cut off my armor and seized me while I lay unconscious on the ground. Elsewhere, the Pandavas continued to sweep all before them. Bhima killed so many elephants that their mountainous corpses piled up and became an obstacle to their forward progress. Bhima was forced briefly to put down his cudgel and drag away the elephants so his brothers could pass. Having still heard no news of their king, Kripa, Ashvataman, and Shakuni broke away to search for him. There were not many carvas left by this point to put up any resistance, but it turns out that Duryodhana still had some brothers left. I must confess that I have not been keeping a tally of how many have been killed so far, but I'd rather estimated that they'd all been wiped out by now. But now we find out that he still had at least 11 brothers left, and these guys made their last stand against the Pandavas. This was just fine by Bhima who launched himself at them and killed them one by one. Following their deaths, Bhima went on to slaughter all the soldiers that had gathered with them. Sanjay said, And then our army, which had lost a huge number of men, only consisted of very few survivors, and became exceedingly cheerless. Only now do we discover the whereabouts of Duryodhana. It looks like he'd taken shelter with his last surviving brother, Sudarsha, amongst a group of cavalry. Krishna was the first to spot him, and he urged Arjun to go straight at him and finish this war now. Arjun reassured his friend, saying, All but two of Dhritarashtra's sons have been slain, and these two shall meet destruction today as well. Bhishma has been slain, Drona has been slain, Karna, Shalya, and Jayadratta too. Shakuni is down to 500 horse and 200 chariots. Of elephants, only 100 remain, and there are only 3,000 foot soldiers. Of their leaders, there only remains Ashvataman, Kripa, Uluka, and Kritavarman, and that's it. Today, King Yudhishthira shall be freed from all his foes. None among them shall escape me. As the Pandavas approached, Duryodhana did not run away. They turned and fought. While Arjun busied himself with mopping up what was left of the Karava's allies, 
Bimo went after Duryodhana's brother, removing his head with the razor-sharp arrow. Sahadev, meanwhile, focused his attack on what was left of Shikuni's army. He got into a duel with Shikuni's son, Uluka, and cut off his head while he was charging at him. Sanjay said, Beholding his son slain, Shikuni, his voice choked with tears, recalled the words Vidur had spoken. Having reflected for a moment, Shikuni heaved a sigh and attacked Sahadev, striking him with three arrows. Sahadev responded by shooting out Shikuni's bow. Drawing a sword, Shikuni threw it at the Pandava, but Sahadev shot it out of the air. Shikuni also threw his mace and a dart, but to no avail. Seeing all his soldiers running away, Shikuni decided to join them and turned and fled. But Sahadev wasn't giving up that easily. He recalled all the bad things that odious little gambler had done, and he chased after Shikuni, saying, Remember your dharma and fight like a kshatriya. Be a man and receive your reward for your treachery. Sahadev's arrows cut down Shikuni's banner and shattered his bow. Shikuni then spun around and charged his enemy with a lance. But Sahadev was too quick. He shattered the lance and then cut off Shikuni's head with an iron arrow. The Pandavas all cheered Sahadev, but Shikuni's followers pounced on him with renewed anger. But Arjuna and Bhima were there to help out, and the three brothers killed many of them. At first, Duryodhana tried again to rally his troops, but he looked around and didn't see many people left still alive. Sanjay says that this was the moment the Karva set his mind on retreating. With even his horse dead, Duryodhana, without a single companion, fled eastwards on foot. By this point, even the Pandavas were nearly wiped out. We are told that they numbered only 2,000 chariots, 700 elephants, 5,000 horse, and 10,000 foot. But even this tiny remnant vastly outnumbered the Karva's decimated force. Now that the fighting had necessarily died down, Dristed Yumna noticed that Setyaki still held Sanjay hostage. He laughed and said, What's the value of keeping this one? He's not worth the ransom. Just kill him. Satyaki drew his sword, but Vyasa stepped in and forbade the charioteer's murder. Sanjay said, Setyaki bowed to Krishna's request and set me free. Removing my armor and handing over my weapons, I set out on the evening road to the city, my limbs bathed in blood. After I'd walked about two miles, I found Duryodhana standing alone, mace in hand, and exceedingly bloody. For a long while he did not notice me. And then he did not recognize me. Then I told him about my capture and release by Vyasa's mercy. When he regained his senses, he asked me about the other fighters and his brothers. I told him that his brothers had all been slain and our troops exterminated. Vyasa had told me that only three chariot warriors had survived on the car of a side. Heaving a deep sigh, the prince put his hand on my shoulder and said, It looks like there's just the two of us left alive, while the allies of the Pandavas are all yet living. Go now and tell my father that his son has entered the depths of a lake. Having lost my sons and brothers and my kingdom taken away, I shall rest at the bottom of this lake. Sanjay said that Duryodhana used a mantra to charm the waters of that lake and make a breathable space for himself as he entered it. Shortly after he had disappeared beneath the water, the three survivors from the war rode up in their chariots. These were Kripa, Ashvataman, and Kritavarman. All three were horribly wounded and mangled from the battle. They recognized Sanjay and greeted him warmly, and then asked after Duryodhana. Sanjay pointed into the lake and then told them what happened. Ashvataman said, If only he knew we were coming, we could have held together and kept up the fight. But it was too late now, so they loaded up Sanjay and together they rode to the Karva's camp. All that was left at the camp were old men and women, and when they learned of their defeat, they set off into the night to return to Hastinapur. 
the widowed womenfolk all wailed and untied their braids as they went. Sanjay said, These women, who in their palaces had never been seen even by the sun, were now exposed to the gaze of the common people. But as news of their defeat spread, the commoners became afraid, and soon there was a general evacuation of the countryside for the walls of the capital. Aside from the submerged Duryodhana, Dhritarashtra had only one son left alive. It was Yutsu, the illegitimate son who had taken the Pandava's side. When he observed the fear and mourning among his brother's retainers and widows, he requested permission to aid these bereft kinfolk. Yudhishthira, of course, allowed him to go. Yuyutsu then supervised the retreat of the widows back to the capital. When he arrived at his father's city, Vidor greeted him, content that at least one of Dhritarashtra's sons had survived the Holocaust. Sanjay said, As regards Yuyutsu, he passed the night in his own bed. Afflicted with sorrow, he took no joy in the congratulations he received from having survived the catastrophe. Instead, he passed the time thinking about the terrible destruction of his people. That's all for now. Next time, the Pandavas will find out the location of their submerged cousin and will spark off the final conflict. Thanks for listening.